Uh, as we get into uh, finishing out our Understanding Love series, one of the things that I want to do is kind of give a little recap of what we've been doing and why. So we started this series a few weeks ago, or I guess a couple weeks ago. One, because I, I like to get a little bit of a break between different chapters of John, uh, which we will uh, be back in next Sunday and starting in uh, chapter 7. But we started this series to kind of understand this idea of what does it mean for us to truly love as Christians? Not only uh, loving God, but what it means for us to love others and what is love in general. Because all throughout the Gospel of John, John talks about true, authentic love. And it's good for us to understand what does that really look like. When John says that God loves us by sending His Son what does he mean by that? What, what level of love is that for us to imitate in our own lives? And so we started with the foundation of love in 1 John chapter 4, and we, we talked about where love comes from and how in order for you to truly understand love, you first must know God who is love. And then last week, we talked about what it meant for us to love God. And to love God is to read His Word, to pray, to grow in relationship with Him, to worship Him, and to do what He says. There's so many different ways that we can love God. We looked at different Psalms in which we saw how we can express our love to God. And so we're ending this series with what does it mean for us to love others? And this all comes from our core passage, Matthew 22, verses 36-40. through 40. At this point, I kind of hope you have this memorized because we've talked about this every week we've done this. But if you don't, that's okay. Uh, I would highly encourage you to memorize this passage though because it is a good one for you to continue to go back to. Matthew 22, 36-40 says this, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so we can sum up this passage by basically saying that in order for us to do the things that God calls us to, we are to love God and love others. And so our key passage from this is going to be verse 39. And it says this, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about the foundation of love. We've talked about what it means to love God, and now we are finishing out talking about what it means to love others. Now, kind of like with last week, notice the way Jesus phrases this, right? Jesus last week didn't just say, love God with everything you got. He was intentional with saying heart, soul, and mind. And depending on which book you read this out of, strength is added in there too. But in this he doesn't just say love people well. You notice that? He could have just said love people well or, or love people abundantly or love people the way I call you to. No. He says love your neighbor as yourself. Why does he say that? Why does he say that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves? One, because our neighbor are those that are around us. They're not just the people that are related to us. They're not just the people that are easy to love. There are those that surround us. Our neighbor can be pretty much anybody. And we are to love them as we love ourselves. This language of do blank as you would do for yourself is scattered throughout the New Testament. 
And the reason why is because our, our natural inclination is to selfishly love ourselves, right? We, the, we are the first person we think about when we wake up in the morning, right? We, we know our needs. We know our concerns because we live in this body. And, and so often when we think about meeting needs or doing what we want, we often think about what we want first. But what we are challenged with is we are challenged to not only love people well, but to love them as we would love ourselves. To see them as more important than us. To make their needs and our needs on an equal playing field. Not just saying, well, I'll, I'll love them if I have any left to spare or after I've done everything I need to do, then I'll go and care for others. No, we are called to love them as we love ourselves. And we naturally, we care for ourselves because we naturally know what we need. But Jesus is challenging the way that we think and the way that we should act. And this is completely countercultural. Because if you look at, for example, Philippians chapter 2, he talks about how we are considered the needs of others as more important than ourselves. When Ephesians chapter 5 talks about marriage, it talks about how a husband is supposed to love his wife as he loves himself. This language is scattered throughout. It's because we are being challenged to not fall suit of we are the most important person or that other people are lesser, but rather we are to love them as much as we love ourselves. We are to have them just as much in focus as we become focused in our own minds. We are aware of our needs, but we should be aware of others too. And so Jesus is telling us to, to, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It kind of reminds me of the golden rule, if you remember that from school or even, I guess, from the Bible, <laughs> that we should treat others as, as we would want to be treated. And so where are we going to go this morning to look at that? Because uh, there's a lot of places that we can look to in God's Word that really help us to understand what it means to love others. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning, verses 9 through 21, and looking at this. And the reason why I chose Romans 12 is because when I think about practically what it means for us as Christians to love people and to serve people, I'm often drawn to Romans 12. And in your Bibles, depending on your translation, it may may be called marks of a true Christian, or it could be called Christian ethics, or depending on what you read. But the reason why I really like this passage is because not only does it address our hearts and, and where our hearts need to be when it comes to loving others, but it actually gives practical instruction on how to love people well. Now this morning, I, I was going to go into different relationships that we have. For example, those that have coworkers, those that are home uh, with their spouse, those that are widowed, those that have family members, those that have friends, you know, all these different relationships that we have with one another. But the reality is Romans 12 speaks to every kind of relationship you can have. So yes, we're not going to get nitty gritty into how does it look like to love others well in a marriage or a friendship or a co-working relationship or even amongst church members. But just know what we are going to go through this morning are things that can be and should be applied to every relationship that you have. Whether they be your neighbor or whether they be the person that you love the most. So let's look at this passage together. Romans chapter 12, verses 9-21. through Romans 12, verse 9 starts with this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now here's where that practical instruction comes into play. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give though to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We pray with me this morning. Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for being able to come and worship this morning. And Father, to sing praises to your name and to be in your word. God, I pray as we wrap up the series on what it means for us to understand love, God, that we would seek to apply these things. God, that we wouldn't just be those that read the Word or see the Word, but God, that we'd be doers of the Word. Father, that we would put these things into practice. God, that we would love You well. And God, that we would love others well. God, I pray that You'd give us opportunities to show that. God, I pray that you would equip us to love in a way that, that you call us to love. God, not just a love that is, that is based on what others do for us or in the way that we feel emotionally, but God, a love that goes beyond that. God, help us to love in the way Jesus loved us. God, help us to seek ways to love those around us, not just our neighbor, but those that we care about most. God, we pray that you would help to correct anything that's wrong in our hearts, Father, that, that lead us away from you and, and lead us towards a worldly mindset with, when it comes to love. God, help us to understand what it means to be obedient to you in this way. God, I pray that you would use your word to speak to our hearts. And God, that you would draw us to yourself. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So this passage... Uh, gives us both a picture of what I would say the motivation of loving others and the practical application of it. And so there's a lot of practicality when it comes to this section of Romans, which I really do like, and I hope that you do too. Uh, but when it comes to what it means for us to love others well, for what it means for Christ followers to show that in their actions, Romans 12 is a great place to be. And if you've ever read this, this chapter as a whole, at the very beginning, Paul calls us to be living sacrifices for God. And then we have this passage here where we are called to, to live as those that would live peaceably with all, as, so far as it depends on us. That we would be the kind of people that would be empathetic. That we'd become the, be the kind of people that would abhor evil and love good. And that we would show that to others. That's the kind of people that we are to be. Now, there's two kind of clear breaking points in this passage. So, the first is 9 through 13. 9 through 13 give us kind of our internal thoughts and attitudes on love. What it is that we should internally be doing in order for us to love others well externally. 
And then the second, 14 through 21, deal with more of the external actions towards others. And so for note takers and those following along, we're going to break this down into simple phrases. Okay? So I'm going to start each phrase like this. Loving others and then blank. So we'll fill that with what we're reading in this text. And I've got five points for us this morning. The first four are the shortest and the last one is the longest. Okay? So if you're one of those people that kind of keeps track of points to see how long it's going to take for me to preach, don't go off of, oh, he's on five. He's going to be five minutes and then done. That's not how it's going to work this morning. So hate to spoil that for you, but that's, that's that. they wanted to give you that, that heads up before you get ready to walk out. So let's start with the first. The first is that loving others should be genuine. Look at me in verse 9. Loving others should be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Before Paul gets into how we are to love others, he starts with something that encompasses everything that we're going to walk through this morning. That we are to have love that is genuine. I love that he starts with that. No pun intended with that, by the way. We are not to love in vain, but we are to love in a way that is real. I was a uh, student pastor for 10 years, and one of the things that I recognized in student ministry is students were really good about seeing whether you were being disingenuine or not. They could tell if what you were doing or what you were saying to them was out of a motivation of you actually cared for them or because you wanted something from them. And I think that as we've grown, we get better at seeing that too. We get better at looking at the the veil of fake love to see if someone truly cares or not. And sometimes we've been hurt, and sometimes it's, it's hard to recognize that. But I feel that in a way, we can tell when people are being genuine or not. There's, there's a level of, of unauthenticness about them. I don't know if that's the right word, but it just seems plastic, right? Like it just seems like it's not tangible or real. And so in order for us to love well, our love can't be fake. You can't love from a place that is, I'm loving because I want this out of you. Or I'm loving because I just want to be a good Christian. No, it's your love needs to be genuine and real for them. Because that's the kind of love that's going to help you to do the things that God calls you to do. To love them in a way that is not natural, but, but supernatural. And this all comes from the foundation of love, and that is God having a relationship with Him. We can't love in the way that God calls us to love without knowing Him, without Him being in our lives and abiding in us. We just we physically are incapable of loving in that way. Now, does that mean you're going to be perfect at it? No, you're not. I've never met a Christian who was perfect at loving other people. I've never met an individual who was perfect at loving people. I, I, have, I have met some people that I, I would love to aspire to love like they do because they do amazing. But only one person was able to love perfectly and that was Jesus. And so we do our best to love in the way that He loved us. But I've seen examples of people that try to love in that way and it is very evident in the way they care for other people. And so we need that foundation of love in us. But then we have this phrasing, He says that we are to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. This is kind of where the how comes into play. So if we are to love genuinely, the, how we do that is that we are to hate what is evil and to love what is good. We are to hold fast to it. And abhor, I know hate's a strong word, but abhor is even more strong of a word. 
It's like you really detest and hate something. Like I used to abhor mushrooms. Absolutely hated it. In fact, I told people I was allergic for the longest time. Victoria used to uh, help with meals at the BCM. And I have, I have confessed to this and asked for forgiveness of this sense. So I'm telling you this story out of just how strongly I didn't like mushrooms. But I told people that I was allergic. And Victoria was on the team that cooked stuff. And, th- and she started putting mushrooms in something. They're like, no, you can't do that. Dustin's allergic. And if you do that, he could get really sick. And so she had to make a completely separate dish as part of that like, Tuesday night meal just so I could eat it. And Victoria told me that way later on when I told her, yeah, I'm actually not allergic to mushrooms. I just really don't like them. <laughs> so I came clean with that. I don't ever recommend doing that or, being, or, or lying about that, no matter how much you, you hate a vegetable. Um, I, and, and I've gotten a little bit better. I'll eat mushrooms and some things now. Like, I've grown as a human being. But I really abhorred mushrooms. But we are to abhor evil even more than I abhorred mushrooms. We are to absolutely hate it. It should make us sick. We shouldn't want anything to do with it. And in order for us to love in the way God calls us to love, that should be our attitude towards evil. Now, does that mean that those who are sinful or, or maybe commit evil acts, should we hate them? No. But we should hate evil and we should hold fast to what is good. Meaning that we should, we should run away from the evil that's in our own hearts and hold fast to God who is good. And it's through doing that that we can adequately do these other things that Paul calls us to in Romans 12. Which the second thing is that we are to, the, the, that loving others should be active, not passive. Look at 11 or 10 and 11 with me. Loving others should be active and not passive. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We talked about how we were to love God last week. We talked about how much of our showing God uh, comes from action. right? It, our, our, our love should have action to back it up. If we say that we love something, it should show in the way that we behave or the way that we act and the way that we talk. Right? Jesus says whatever is in our hearts is going to come out through the mouth. And so Paul's encouraging us in this is that we should have action to back it up. And that we shouldn't be passive in our love. We are to love with brotherly affection as we would a close family member. And I know for some of you, you have close family members that you absolutely would not have any affection for. Right? But we are to love in that way like people as, as if they're family to us. Right? That means maybe not everyone wants to be around you all the time, but our, our love should be that of, of a familial bond. That's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ, because we are in the family of God. We've been adopted as sons and co-heirs of Christ. And then he says this, that we are to have almost this competitive mindset with one another and showing love and honor. I remember doing premarital counseling. This is one that uh, my friend Cole Pinnock would tell me in Victoria a lot is that, hey, this should be like a regular practice in your marriage. You should seek to show honor and outdo one another in showing honor to one another. And I, I never really understood why, but the reason why is because, well, at that point I didn't, but the reason why I understand that now is because competition isn't passive, right? When you are competitive, when you're seeking to outdo one another or you're seeking to go beyond, you go the extra mile. In a competition, you don't just sit back and go, well... Maybe it'll happen. Maybe I'll win. No, you want it. There's a drive to it. You work for it. 
And that's how our love should be. It shouldn't be passive where we just sit around and go, well, if, if I have an opportunity to love somebody, I will. No, we should seek that out. And we should seek to have almost a competitive mindset to it. Now, not competition in a way that like, you push somebody down if they're loving someone better than you are, but in a way that we aren't passive with our love for one another. And then he, 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 ta- he moves on to warning us against laziness. That we should not be lazy with our love. Our love for others should be zealous and active, not passive and dead. And when we look later on at how we should love one another in practical ways, doing so passively doesn't fly. Right? Especially when we get to the passage where he talks about how we are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's not a passive act. Or that's, that's, okay, yes, that's right. I'm sorry, I didn't know if I used the wrong word or not. I mean, think about relationships, right? That you have in your life. You, you, aren't, you can't be passive in your most important relationships. If you are, the relationship dies. Or it, it's, it's really shallow. We have to be active and not passive. Love requires work and it requires us to be active. The next thing is that loving others comes from a right attitude of the heart. Look at verse 12 with me. Rejoice, with those, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Now when you look at the whole passage as a whole, it kind of looks like this is a little out of place. Like, okay, why is this, why is this passage in here? But it's in here because the attitude of our heart drives what we do. Our heart's attitude needs to be in the right place for us to love well. And the attitude of our heart is that we are to be hopeful, we are to be patient, and we are to be prayerful. We cannot neglect the power of prayer in loving others well. This is what helps us to maintain a right attitude about others and how we can care for them to be hopeful, to be prayerful, and to be patient. Loving others requires patience. Amen? Amen. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, there, there was a, I, I, I remember being in this church and I was told that if you ever pray for patience, God's going to give it to you and you're not going to like the process of it. And I've, I've learned how the more that I've prayed for patience, the more the Lord has used mostly relationships in my life to, to, to build that up in me. Not in bad ways, but in good ways. But the Lord definitely builds patience up in that. And we need patience when it comes to loving people well. And praise God that Jesus had patience for us. And that God has patience for us, right? It's the whole reason why we are here, not all obliterated for our sins. But what what else does this help do? One, well, this helps us to guard us against bitterness. Being prayerful, being hopeful, being patient helps to guard against bitterness. It helps us to forgive those that wrong us. It helps us to love our enemies. And then it helps us to love in the way Christ showed love for us. So this needs to be an attitude of our heart. And then lastly, in this first part of the section, we have that loving others should be hospitable and selfless. Verse 13. Loving others should be hospitable and selfless. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So lastly, when it comes to loving others, it should be done with hospitality and selflessness. Now, hospitality, a lot of people, they, when we think about that, and think about that phrasing, what do you guys think of? Think of like restaurants or, or having people over for dinner. 
uh, Victoria and I had an opportunity uh, within just the last week to have two different gatherings of friends over, one for our friends who just got married, and then another was for the Super Bowl. And I was like, man, I forgot how much like I enjoyed having all those people over. It was a lot of fun. And part of that was you get to feed people food, and you get to serve them, and you get to cook them dinner, and you get to, to have your focus centered not around yourself, but around somebody else. Right, and there are some people that love to be hospitable. Like that is something that they do regularly, and there are those that maybe that's not as natural for them to do. Well, can I just tell you that being hospitable isn't about feeding people? It's not about giving them something to drink. It's not about having them over to your home. Being hospitable is having a focus on someone else rather than yourself and seeking to serve and love them in that way. So being hospitable doesn't necessarily have to look like you're cooking them a meal but you are considering someone's needs over your own. In the hospitality industry, for example, there's, a, there's an outward focus on how can we help the experience of the customer that sees us be better rather than what can we do to just help ourselves. In the hospitality industry, it's all about what, what, what is the customer thinking? What are they doing? How can we serve them? And so when it comes to us as Christians, we are to be hospitable. We are to be hospitable in every way. Seeking to consider others is more important than ourselves. Seeking to consider their needs above our own. And finding joy in serving and loving somebody else other than ourselves. And so we are to be hospitable. We are to be selfless with our love. And this attitude is very similar to Philippians 2 when we are, considered, when we are told to consider others as more important than ourselves. This all tracks with what we've been learning and who God is and who he wants us to be. However, it also reflects our core passage. Right? When we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to be hospitable. We are to seek to meet their needs. Our attitudes and hearts towards others should be that of hospitality. So these, this, this first section of verses focuses a lot on our internal behavior, in our heart, in our mindset. So, now we're getting into my last point, which is the practical application of this. Look at me with verses 14 through 21. And my last point is this, is that loving others should be shown in action. Loving others should be shown in action. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give, though what to do is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want you to bookmark verse 21 as we read this and consider what we just talked about in the beginning because it all comes together. But let's look at this. These are all practical examples of how we are to love other people well. So what does this look like? Well, the first is that we are to bless those who wrong us. Verse 14. Now, can you imagine how hard that would have been at this time frame in this point of history to hear? We sometimes forget about that. This is, this is during the, the, the peak of the Roman government. They are persecuting Christians left and right. Paul, who, who was once Saul, 
He loved persecuting Christians. It was a sport to him. And he was good at it. And then God changed his heart and made him into somebody brand new. But he's telling them to love those that persecute them. He's speaking to the early church right now who are, people are literally being killed for being Christians. And he's telling them to love. He's telling them to bless those that are persecuting them. Can you imagine how hard of a pill that must have been to swallow? How difficult that must have been to hear? We are to bless those that persecute us. Why? Because it's exactly what Jesus did for us. We were enemies of God. Lost in sin. Broken in ourselves. We did not deserve salvation. We did not deserve to to live in eternity with God. But He sent His only Son to live and die for us. That we would have eternal life with with Him, with those that trust in Him and believe. We are the ultimate example of this. Not the Roman Empire. Not any persecuting authority. But the fact that God sent His Son to live and die for us. Because we were once enemies of God, but now we've been lost and found and brought into His family. Verse 15, is that we are to show empathy. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. When I was in college, um, I, had a, I had a season that was, that was a bit more difficult than most and didn't know what kind of major I was going to have. I, I was having a lot of an identity crisis and like who I wanted to be as an adult. I'm sure anybody in, in their early 20s goes, in, goes through that. And I remember just sitting in my room and just like, just, just almost weeping. And my friend Mario comes by and he, he comes in and he says, hey brother, can I pray for you and just sit with you for a bit? He prayed with me and he cried with me for like half an hour. He just stayed and sat with me in my grief. And I'll never forget that because You know, a lot of times when we see people in grief or in suffering, what we do is we try to make it better. We try to immediately make it go away. We say, oh, it's okay, it's fine. Like, or can I get you anything? Can I help solve your problem? No, he just sat there and weeped with me. And it was one of the most healing things that I could have had from a friend at that time. And I'll never forget that. You know, sometimes when people are hurting, we seek to try to solve their problems, but the best thing that sometimes we can do is to be quiet and weep with them. Sometimes we just need to grieve with people. Sometimes they just need somebody who can, who can sit with them for a moment. Not solve, them problem, solve their problems, but just sit with them. And I love that Mario showed that. And I'll never forget that. But for us as Christians, we are to be similar. We are to grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to be happy for people and with people. Right? We are to be empathetic. Verse 16 is that we are to live in unity and be humble. Right? Kind of going back to Philippians chapter 2, we are to consider others as more important than ourselves. We are to, to be humble as Christ was humble for us. Others need to be more important than ourselves. Because here's the reality. Most fights and most disunity come from something, someone not getting what they want. Right? For, I've, I've been doing marriage counseling for five years and I can tell you that with most I will say most, because there's some that maybe aren't in that, that, that same sphere, but most counseling sessions that I've walked couples through, the core root of it is somebody wants one thing and somebody wants another, and they can't come to an agreement, and they are, they are really wanting what they want, or what they want is not happening. 
And that's kind of where the core of those conflicts come from. And then in conflict, sometimes it breeds sin. And so for us, we are to consider others as more important than ourselves. And we are to not be selfish. But rather, we are to reject that and be humble towards one another. Never be wise in our own sight. Verse 17, do not take revenge. (laughs) That's pretty straightforward. Repay no evil for evil, but repay evil for good. Or no, hold on. Repay no evil for evil, but give, though to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We are not to be those that take revenge on others. Now, does that mean we can't seek justice or protect people? No, we absolutely should. But just because somebody wrongs you doesn't mean you wrong them back. It's a simple truth, but it's a profound truth. In verse 18, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. That verse could be a whole sermon in itself. (laughs) As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here's the reality. You are only responsible for your behavior. You can't control what somebody else does. You can't control what somebody else thinks. But you can control your actions. You can control what you do. As far as it depends on you, we should be people that are live peaceably at all with, with all. Now, does that mean the other party wants to live peaceably with you? Maybe not, but you're not in control of them. You're in control of you. There are people that rejected Jesus. There are people that tried to kill Jesus. There are people that did put him on a cross. But so far as it depends on him, he lived peaceably with all. There was never anybody that Jesus came across with that he wasn't peaceable with. And we are to do the same. Now, verses 19 to 21 act kind of more as a deeper dive into not taking revenge on somebody. This is a big deal. I mean, because honestly, how often have we thought, oh, we should wrong somebody else because they wrong us? Maybe most of us don't think that way, but I think if we're honest, we sometimes do, even in small, subtle ways, but we are not to do that. Instead, we are to trust the Lord to work these situations out. We are to trust the Lord with justice Right, The Bible says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. God is sovereign in control over these things and then we are not the ones who should be God in this situation. Instead, we are to love people well and to trust God to do the rest. Because you never know the way that God is going to use your love to transform somebody's life. I've shared different stories in here of how, how people have done that and through their radical act of love towards somebody who hated them, they became Christians. Our duty is not to seek self-justice. Our duty is to trust the Lord and love people well. And when we take matters into our own hands, we often fall short or we make things worse. Don't take things into your own hands. We are not a group of vigilantes. Not when we serve a God who is just and a God who is good. But then look at verse 21. Verse 21 says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Look at the way verses 9-21 through 21 sandwich everything together. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And then this ends with verse 9. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If I can summarize and sum up what it means to love people, do that. Let your love be genuine. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Show love towards one another. So my question for you as we close is, does your life reflect those characteristics? Does your life reflect somebody who understands love and shows that in action? 
How does your love for others reflect these truths? Because when you belong to God and His love abides in you, you should be loving in this way. And does that mean you're going to be perfect at it? No, you're not. But my hope for you is that in learning to love others, you learn to love God more. And you begin to look more like His Son. But it first starts with God's love abiding in you. And it first starts with having a relationship with Him to begin with. Will you pray with me as we have our time of invitation? Lord, we thank You so much for today. God, we are grateful for Your Son. Father, as we were enemies to You, God, You sent Your Son to die for us, to live a perfect life that we couldn't live. God, we nailed Him on the cross, and, and God, we, we mocked Him and betrayed Him. And God, we seek other things more than You, but God, yet You still loved us. And You still bestowed Your, bestowed your mercy and grace on us. God, we pray that we would seek to love others in the way that You loved us. God, that we would love our enemies. And God, that we would bless those who persecute us. God, that we would seek to live peaceably with all as far as it depends on us. God, I pray that we would not be people who are selfish. But God, I pray that we'd be selfless and hospitable towards one another. God, I pray that You would help us to honor You. God, I pray that You'd help us to love You and love others well. Father, that we would be obedient to You. And God, I pray for everyone in this room. Father, for those that know You, God, I pray that they would seek ways to love You better and to love others more. God, I pray for those who maybe don't know You in this room. God, if they don't have God's love abiding in them, God, I pray that they would submit to You. God, they would trust You as Savior. And God, they would seek to know the kind of love that only comes from You. God, I pray that they would give themselves over to You, God, that they may know love truly. So God, we thank You for this time. And God, as, as we pray and as we spend a few minutes in reflection, God, I just pray that You'd help to reveal to us the things in our hearts that need changed. And God, that You'd help us to draw us closer to You. Through Son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.